following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. Before we, uh, before we sit down, could you mind, let's put our giving declaration up. This is part of our worship. Let's say this together out loud, can we? One, two, three. Today we gather because of the goodness and graciousness of God. His mighty hand is upon us to bring blessings and abundance. Because of God's tender mercy and loving kindness, we give with thankful hearts. In bringing and giving our gifts today, we release the power and possibilities the kingdom of God bestows. We are blessed, anointed, and empowered to accomplish all God's purposes in the earth. To Him and Him alone be all glory. Amen and amen and amen. I believe that, don't you? Before you sit down, I know we're not touching each other in this social distance. Maybe just blow somebody a kiss, tell them you love them, and tell them you appreciate them, and bring me a pulpit. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming today to worship with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Davey. Thank you, Greg. Today's Father's Day, and we celebrate fathers. I'm going to ask Beverly to come with me and stand here with me for a moment. She's got uh, going to deliver a word for us today, just before I share a word. And uh, today's Father's Day, we honor all the fathers. We've got some great fathers here in the in our congregation. We thank God for them. But this year, as I began to prepare for today and knew it was Father's Day. I realized and got to thinking, you know, everybody didn't have a great father. And so a lot, a lot of people have been traumatized and even Bev in her own life really struggled uh, relating to God as a father mm-hmm. because of her experience with her earthly father. And so she penned a book years ago, I Could Not Call Him Father. And uh, it's a powerful, powerful book on forgiveness and her restoration. And so I've asked Beverly to come and just uh, share a bit of her heart about this and maybe read an excerpt from the book and pray for us today. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Um, I do want to take just a minute and share just a little backstory. Uh, I guess a little testimony. The Word of God tells us in Revelation 12, 11, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and uh, the word of our testimony. So uh, I really... Um, I'm so torn up this morning over this entire service this day in, in the best possible way because um, once you've heard the message today, you're really going to see how powerful prayer is. Um, when Kent showed all, or when Matt, have we, showed, have we shown the, um, from yesterday, Not yesterday? Yet. Okay, but when you see this, uh, just our, our church in action, I want you to understand how powerful prayer is because you see for 20 years we've been praying into this community and I'm going to share with you, but it's so important because the part of my testimony is the prayer part of it because you can't give up in prayer. And when Kent talks about maybe not having the best earthly father, the best natural father, um, we have to really understand that we have to keep praying for people. That's, that's why God has changed our heart, you see. That's what all this worship is all about. That when his presence comes into our lives, we are changed. So I know that if you are sitting here or if you're under the sound of my voice watching online, God has changed your heart, you mm-hmm. see. And that's what this is all about. It's all about the change in us. What God does on the inside of someone else, fathers, mothers, parents, children, that's between them and God. All we can do is our part. And so when the Lord really spoke to me all those years ago about writing this book, and he gave me the title right up front, I could not call him father. This wasn't about my natural dad. I could not relate to my heavenly father, you see. I had been a believer, a strong believer my whole life. But I had been in ministry for five years by the time this book was written, and I had not seen my natural father in 15 years. 15 years. And so when I started writing this book, let me tell you what I learned about myself. It had nothing to do with my father or any of the things that we had been through. He had been in prison for 36 years. What I learned about myself was that I was full of pride. 
Mm. And shame-based pride is the exact same thing as pride. So I want to encourage you today that wherever you are in whatever walk you're in with your natural father, with your heavenly father, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying into it and keep praying for those people. And it doesn't even matter if they've passed, you see. You can still keep praying into your future and your children's Mm -hmm futures. Amen. Amen. So having said all that, I do want to share just a brief little testimony about my own dad. He was in prison for 36 years, didn't see him for 15 years, wrote this book, went to see him, asked the Lord to just give me wisdom and how to walk in a relationship with him and to forgive him. Well, he came out, spent three hours with me, didn't say one single word to me the entire three hours. Do you understand? Not one single word. He finally told my husband when we got ready to leave, he said, if you hadn't have been here, I wouldn't have even come out. And I said, well, Dad, I said, I came to tell you that I forgive you, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And he didn't acknowledge that whatsoever. When we left that place that day, we passed a huge sign that said, don't give up prayer works. And I held on to that word, you see. And every year after that, every time the parole board came up, I wrote a home plan for him, never believing in a million years he would ever be released from prison. It was a life sentence. Well, lo and behold, about 2006, we got a call from the parole board. We're releasing him and he's coming to live with you. Thank you for your home plan. I said, well, glory adios. Hallelujah. Here he comes. So sure enough, here he came and he had not changed one single bit. If he was I think he might have been even been a little bit meaner, if you want to know the truth, after 36 years in prison. Had he been as strong as he was when I was growing up, I wouldn't have been able to be around him. I was that intimidated by him. But let me tell you what God did. Can somebody say, what God did? What God did? What God did for that man and our family. He came to church every single time the doors were open fell head over heels in love with Kent, never once confessed that he knew anything about God, but he loved Kent Maddox and Word Alive International Outreach. Well, he started getting around town, and God knows this man had a seed in his DNA of evangelism. I have never seen anything like it in my life. Rite Aid, Walmart, uh, the grocery store, everywhere he went, he would say, hey, you been out there to that Word Alive out in cold water? And they'd say, well, no, no, I haven't ever been out there. He'd say, well, what the hell is wrong with you? My son-in-law's the best GD preacher you've ever heard in your life. And look, I'm just telling you how it went down because when they started coming to church, that became their testimony. Anybody up in here ever meet my daddy, Pearson Willis? Well, you know what I'm talking about. And he would tell them, this is what he would say to them. He would say, now look, if I don't see you in that church on Sunday, and he'd shake his cane at him, he'd say, I know where you work and I'm coming back. Well, my God, they started showing up and that's their testimony. Your daddy told me if, you, if I didn't come to church, he was going to come back with his cane. And of course, I know that sounds funny, but the truth is his life got off track like so many of ours gets off track. But who God created him to be and who God designed him to be. That's who he really was. And I can tell you, when he was incarcerated, he put everything in little uh, cigar boxes, all of his private papers, things that were special to him, and he kept all of his photographs of the family in there. And when he passed, I came into ownership of all of those little cigar boxes. And I want to tell you, there are over 200 pictures of people that sat right there in that living room in that little yellow house that we bought for him all those years ago that he shared his story and he shared what God had done for him. And he may not have said it the way that Kent would have said it or I would have said it or even the way that you'd said it, but the testimony and the lasting power of it is, is to this day there are still generations of people who are coming to Word Alive International Outreach because he invited them to come. And all I want to say to you about this is that even though you may have been in a horrible situation in your own family with your natural father or your natural mother even, forgive, let it go, 
I'm not saying put yourself in harm's way. I'm not asking you to put yourself in a place where any kind of abuse can continue. All I'm saying is there's no distance in prayer, you see. It all takes place in the Spirit. Just like all this work you're seeing happen around us in our community now, yes, it's been hard. Yes, there's been a lot of upheaval. But change mm -hmm. is going to come. Yes, it is. Change is going to come. And so when my daddy got ready to leave this world, he called Kent and he said, I need you to pray with me. He was on his deathbed. Kent started to lead him in, in the sinner's prayer just like a good pastor would. And he said, my God, son, I don't know how much time I've got left on this earth. You're going to have to hurry up. And he finished up and led himself in the sinner's <laughs> prayer. And I know that when he showed up at heaven's gate, they threw the gate wide open and said, come on in, my son. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And it may not have looked like that to any of us, but God knew his heart. So all I can encourage you to do today is to understand that God's got a plan. We may not understand it. We may not see it. People's actions may be deplorable. Their behavior may be beyond the pale. You may never want to be around any of them again. But I want to read this little excerpt from this book. Matt asked me to do it, and I thought, well, that's... That's unusual on Father's Day, but then I read it myself and the anointing of the Holy Spirit just began to fall right there in our house. So I pray you're blessed as I read it. If you're struggling in your relationship with God, don't let go. In looking over your life, surely you can see the evidence of His plans for you. The choices you made may not have been His will, but He was always there waiting for you to turn to Him. My pastor preached a powerful message on Jacob wrestling with God. And he said something I will never forget. He said, if you don't wrestle with God, you will wrestle with man. My whole life had been spent wrestling with man. And in that moment, I made a vow to God that I would not let go of him. In that service, my heart began to melt toward my heavenly father. And for the first time, I realized how bound I was by unforgiveness and rejection. God allowed me to see that to overcome rejection, I must begin to walk in forgiveness. That was on February 21st, 1993, exactly six years to the day that we had moved to Florida. Six is the number of man, and as I listened to the message, I knew God was setting me free from the fear of man and was bringing me out of bondage to my past. I had been trying to know God without having a relationship with Him. The same emptiness that had dominated my relationship with my natural father had prevented me from knowing the fulfillment of a relationship with my heavenly father. Without fellowship, it was impossible to call Him Father. There's no relationship, you see, without fellowship. The Word of God says in Exodus 20:12, to honor thy father and thy mother. I was not honoring my natural father in any way, and that caused an even deeper breach between God and me. Once my heart softened toward my heavenly father, his Holy Spirit began to work in me, but it still took time and testing before I was able to walk in true obedience to what God commands us to do. This was the beginning of deliverance for me, and in big, bold letters at the top of my journal is written, this message changed my life. From that day on, I came to know my God as Abba Father. And with that revelation has come freedom and peace such as I have never known before. God truly will heal every hurt in our heart. So I want to encourage you today, just keep pressing in and pressing on. And as I pray for you, I pray that these words literally become, as you leave this place today, a message that changes your lives. Lord, according to 1 Timothy 6, 19, as fathers and sons, we are laying for ourselves a good foundation for the future so that we may prepare the way for the next generations. As fathers, we are maturing daily in the things of God and we live in the rhema and it is activating signs, wonders and miracles in, through and around us. Because we have divine sonship, we will abide in the Lord and not lose sight of our destination. In this season of our lives as fathers, we stand at the ascent of Ziz where goodness and mercy is our portion. 
This is our season and our place of multiplication. We are under the divine alignment of the heavenlies. This new atmosphere is a godly construct for times of trouble. Every demonic strategy, evil thought pattern and generational curse is now decimated and commanded to cease and desist. Every agenda to separate families is now destroyed at the root of conception in Jesus' name. We declare the kingdom has come and the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where there have been hurts, let healing begin. Where there has been rejection, let there be acceptance. Where there has been unforgiveness, let there be forgiveness. Where there has been bitterness, let there be deference. God, your fathers and sons are the light of the earth and we have been separated from darkness. We speak to this past and future generations and we call you blessed. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 tells us this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great day, and I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So I pray this blessing over you today. May you be blessed coming in and may you be blessed going out. May every good gift from the Father above be your portion. May everything that he has sown in your hearts and your spirit bear great fruit. And may these next generations see the glory of God be manifest in the earth like never before. Amen and amen and happy Father's Day to every single one of you. Amen. I've got just a few moments to cover a lot of territory with you. So I believe this is one of the most significant talks Bev told me when I came out of uh, first service. She felt like this message today kind of uh, charted the course of where we're headed uh, in this season. And uh, what happened is uh, two weeks ago, I was on a, a Zoom call, popular technology these days. Sean Boltz, a prophet, was on there. There's 250 of us on this Zoom call, leaders from around the globe. And he started prophesying and ministering general prayers over the, the 250 participants. And all of a sudden, he said, Kent Maddox, uh, you're on the call. And uh, he said these words. He said, God is giving, going to give you a prophetic prototype message for the sake of healing cultural rifts. And it'll be a message for movements. And it will have a prophetic edge on, the, on, the, on, on these days ahead. And God is going to drop a book or a piece of material in your life and when you read it, it will be a confirmation and you'll know what God is saying. So that was two weeks ago. Wednesday, I woke up with a scripture, Micah 6, 8. I'll paraphrase this for you. Israel's coming to God. Their culture, much like ours, is in turmoil. And they said, God, what do we do? What, what do you want us to do in this time? How do we fix things? Should we offer more offerings? Should we worship louder? Should we gather more people to worship you? Should we even sacrifice our children? This was the despair. This is the despair they were in. They were even willing to offer their children as a sacrifice if it would make things happen. And in the midst of this, Micah the prophet says, you, O oh man, O oh Israel, you know what to do. I'm not looking for sacrifices or more offerings or sacrificing your children or more money or anything else. You know what I'm calling for. What does the Lord require? But to act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with God. This is God's message to us in this season. And so all of a sudden, this message began to rise up in me. I started studying what does it mean to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. In actuality, it's hard to take those apart. They're three different points, but they're all one. They, it's like a garment. They're sewn together. Loving mercy, acting justly, walking humbly. It's all the same action. And I began to look at this and this message of justice began to rise up in my spirit. And I realized we at Word Alive are called to the state of Alabama for the purpose of allowing justice to come out of the southern gate. This is part of our, this is part of our mandate. Our mission is to cause justice to arise out of the southern gate. The reason justice is being cried for in the streets is because it's not been preached in the church. And so Friday morning, I wake up, I've been digesting this message. Dan's been helping me. We've been praying about it, looking into the scriptures. And on my kitchen table is a book. 
sent to me from Amazon that I didn't buy. I didn't order it. Holly didn't order it. Nobody around me ordered it. I can't find out where it came from, who sent it. The title of it, Generous Justice. And it's all about the justice of God in the Bible. And so I know God is speaking to us. This is our message that's charting our course. First of all, we've got to understand that church as we know it, well, let me back up just a minute and, I, and, and, and to jump right, right through this. Part of this all in Alabama, Matt talked about, started when Bev and I was at the Peace and Justice Museum in Montgomery, where we witnessed 64 jars of dirt on the state of Alabama that represent 64 counties where black men, women, and children were hung on trees in the state of Alabama. And God spoke to us and said, the cry, the blood of innocent men and women are crying out of the earth for justice. And the Lord spoke to us that as we travel to gather this soil, pray over it, break that curse and begin to bring redemption to the state of Alabama. We're just, we're just bold enough to believe our, we've been in 48 states since January. We just believe a lot of our prayers in Alabama is what uncapped this thing in the United States of America. God, I, I believe that, that we start, it said Alabama had to go first. I believe that, that these prayers and these proclamations became a tipping point that just boom, now we're in it. We've got to understand though, we are the remedy. We are the ecclesia. So there's a paradigm right now about what it even means to be a church. For the first 300 years of the Bible, they never used the traditional word church. Because the traditional word we know as church is we gather from culture to come to a building to hear about how good God is and hopefully receive him as savior and get saved from sin. And then with the church becomes a refrigerated container that we try to hold all the caught fish and keep them saved. Hoping one day the big refrigerator ship's gonna come back and gonna get all the fish we got in our refrigerator tank and then we're gonna be able to go to the big aquarium in the sky and live happily. But that is so far removed from what the Bible's definition is of being the church. Actually, the word church is the word ecclesia, which is not even spiritual or religious. It's actually governmental, which speaks of an authority. And the authority of the ecclesia was a group of people called out from another kingdom to go to a territory and cause that territory to become just like the kingdom that sent them there. And the kingdom that sent them there gave them their military and economic power to back them up, to give them the authority to shift and change culture in the name of Jesus. This is the church that Jesus is building and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We need to quit going to church praying for Jesus to keep us safe. Jesus didn't die to make you safe. He died to make you dangerous. So this is what God's saying. This is what God's doing. And there's a paradigm shift that we gotta realize God's not just after saving souls. He wants to save cities and nations. The marketplace has already been redeemed and God's given us the keys. That's why I'm excited about so many young businessmen and women in our church who are going into the marketplace with kingdom mentalities, kingdom businesses, to establish God's kingdom in the earth. Our work is worship. It's not what we do on Sunday, it's what we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That is really our worship. Jesus builds a church, we just use the keys. But we've been trying to build the church, all kind of programs, all kind of this to try to get people to come to church. No, we just need to go start using the keys, opening up the kingdom for people, and Jesus is well able to build his church. But the one I wanna focus on for the few moments we have here today is the, this concept. The job of the ecclesia is to eliminate systemic poverty. This is part of the mandate, if not the major mandate on the life of the ecclesia. This whole thing we're in right now, this whole concept, this whole crisis we're in, racism is not the root, it's the fruit. Racism is not the root, it's the fruit. The root of this crisis is found in 1 Timothy 16, 6.10 that says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. 
Money, the love of money is what produced slavery. White men didn't hate black men necessarily. White men oppressed black men for the love of money so that they could make more money. But that didn't happen just in America. That was Israel and Egypt. This goes centuries back where any people group that became oppressed so that another group could make the money. The root of it is the love of money. That's why Jesus said these words. He said, you can't serve two masters. Either you'll love the one, hate the other, or you'll, or you'll respect the one and be loyal and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. It's the only other thing that God said you can't serve. Why? The love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. So I got this prophetic word from Chuck Pierce this week when they realized George Floyd in this crisis, the detriment of his death was not just racism, but it's rooted in poverty and the love of money. George Floyd lost his life over a counterfeit $20 bill. And so Chuck was in a prayer meeting and began to pray, Lord, expose this counterfeit spirit that's wanting to kill people and take their lives. And begin to pray against the antichrist spirit. You see, this whole concept about racism is not just racism, it's actually rooted in an antichrist spirit. What is the antichrist spirit, you say? It's the spirit that's against Christ and Christ's justice in the earth. And it's rooted in the love of money. That's why Revelation says in the end, some will take the mark of the beast, which gives them economic ability to buy and sell. The antichrist spirit's an economic spirit. That's why the only way to break that curse is to give. The only way to ever break the antichrist, break the spirit of mammon, break the love of money is to give. That's why God gave Jesus, it broke the curse. That's why when God challenges you to give, he's breaking you out of the spirit of mammon and the love of money and moving you into the justice of God. And so Chuck and them stepped on a $20 bill prophetically to say, Lord, uncover this spirit. Amazingly, as soon as they prayed that even in our own city, counterfeit rings were exposed this week. It's in the news. $20 bill is the most counterfeited piece of currency in the world. Two out of every 10 $20 bills are counterfeit. Why? The drug cartel uses 20s to move money. It's a spirit. While praying over this, they realized one of their intercessors there that the picture on the $20 bill is Andrew Jackson. Why is that significant? Andrew Jackson's headquarters was in Pell City. Was in St. Clair County, I should say. That was his headquarters, 1814, St. Clair County, Andrew Jackson. What did Andrew Jackson do? He led the Trail of Tears, where literally thousands of our first native people lost their lives because of the love of money he wanted their land and birthed one of the greatest atrocities in our nation because of the love of money. So the, the, the root of this thing is not racism. The fruit of it's racism. The root of, of it is the antichrist spirit, the spirit of mammon. And I'm saying today in the name of Jesus, we come against that spirit in the name of Jesus. And we say that the equality of justice is about to hit the state of Alabama and we're gonna see the spirit of poverty and the poverty line shift off the state of Alabama and move us into our destiny and our purpose in the name of Jesus. Now for us to do that, we've got to begin to do these three things. Act justly, love mercy, Walk humbly. This is, a, this is a verse worth memorizing. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. What does it mean to act justly? That word justly is not just beliefs, it's action. When you see justice and under, begin to understand justice, biblical, biblical justice. When I think of justice, I think of the proper penalty to meet the proper crime. 
But you see, true justice not connected to mercy can't be justice. Justice without mercy is not true justice. Let me explain it this way. If I lay my jacket down today and a millionaire that's got plenty of jackets steals my jacket just because he likes it and wants it versus a poor man who's gonna freeze to death tonight unless he has my jacket and he steals it, if you meet the same penalty for the same crime without understanding mercy, you get away from justice. That's why our judicial system is so rank because we've got people imprisoned unjustly. Why? It's the love of money, which is the root of all evil. They're building more prisons because they're profitable. And they're issuing out justice without mercy. Because people that are living in poverty are making, doing some of the same actions as those who aren't in poverty and they don't have the same legal representation and therefore no justice is being distributed. Come on, somebody. I know I'm gonna lose a few over this, but there's only a few coming right now, so it don't really matter, does it? Come on. Come on now. We gotta tell the truth and we're gonna go with God. So things gotta change. And so justice in God's idea, most of us in the Western culture are only caught up in our personal salvation. Like, okay, justice for us is I was a sinner, Jesus shed his blood, now I've been made just. And we stop there. Others get so involved in social justice, they forget about their redemption. Works can't save you. Only grace does that. So in Romans, Paul says, by faith through grace I am saved. No works are included. Yet, James says, faith without works is dead. So we're not saying we do justice to get saved. We're saying we do justice because we are saved. And if you're not doing justice, you probably hadn't been saved yet. You may have been convinced, but you hadn't been converted because once you really realize how God loves you and how wretched you are without him and you have an encounter with God and you receive his grace, the fruit of that is you want to distribute that to others. Jesus, God called for justice for these people, not justice for himself, for the widow, the fatherless, the orphan, the poor, the hungry, strangers, needy, weak, oppressed. That's who God calls for justice for. It says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so that's what God calls for. Actually in the Bible, so when I introduce myself, I say like, hey Daniel, I'm Kent Maddox, I pastor Word Alive International Outreach. I do other things, but this is, this is who I, what I do mostly. And I'm proud to be that. But this is what I do mostly. So anytime I identify with who I am, I've, I'm pastor at World Live International. Why? That's what I do most of the time. When God introduces himself in the Bible, do you know who, how he introduces himself most of the time? Not as Lord, not as Savior, not as King, not as Creator, not as God Almighty. Father to the fatherless and defender of the weak. <laughs> that's who God introduces himself as. Who are you, God? I'm a father to the fatherless, and I'm the defender of the weak. If we're not doing that, we're not acting like God. And so we've got to step into justice, and we've got to get out of this religious mentality. Somehow, we want to focus on the minor instead of the major, Did you know a majority of people, even in the state of Alabama and America, think the reason we're not in revival and the reason that God's not moving is because of homosexuality and abortion? And they don't really care about homosexuals and they don't really care about unborn children. They just think that's why God's judging us. That's the only reason they want it to stop so they can keep getting blessed. 
They could give a rip about the kids that are being killed or homosexuals that are struggling. So they mouth up all this conversation about that and do nothing to help. They're the pharisaical spirit in the Bible that says you keep heaping laws and you don't move one finger to get anything off of anybody. Why do we do that? Because it's just a small portion. Listen, we've been killing children for thousands of years. They were doing that in the Bible. This isn't new. Sexual stuff's been going on for centuries. This isn't new. But somehow it didn't meet God's top agenda. I'm not saying it may not be an issue, but it's not God's top agenda. God's top agenda is the widow, the fatherless, the orphan, the weak, the vulnerable, the oppressed. Why do we want to make that the top? Because most of you don't have that. So you want to exalt that so you can stay hid in your love of money. Just reach over and touch your butt and go, ow, ow. It's true. That why, that's why there's no justice. Because we're not willing to give of ourselves because we're afraid we're gonna run out. Somebody was really using me recently and I said, God, they're using me. God said, I know. I said, what you gonna do about it? He said, nothing. I said, why? He said, that's what you prayed for. I said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. You said, Lord, use me. He said, why are you complaining about what you asked for me to do? And definitely, why are you worried about what they're using you for if I'm supplying it? Come on now. We got to get a hold of this justice. People ask me all the time, why don't you preach more about hell? Because they don't plan on going. I mean, why would I want to keep talking to you about a destination I'm not planning to go to? I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. But better than that, I'm bringing heaven here. My mandate's not to go to heaven. My mandate's to bring heaven here. What we did yesterday at the project was we brought heaven to Aniston and said, this is what heaven looks like. This is what happens when we come together. This is what happens when we lay our lives down. This is what happens when we serve each other. This is heaven coming to earth. But if you want to go to hell, I can tell you clearly how to get there. I know the path. Luke says, there was a rich man, poor man. Rich man fared sumptuously. Poor man begged every day. Rich man did nothing to help him. They both die. Rich man winds up in hell. Poor man in heaven. And there's a gulf between them and he can't cross it. He said, how did I wind up in this place of torment? He said, because you sit there every day. And you watched a poor man beg and you did nothing to help him and you had plenty of everything. Luke 12, God built big barns. He said, I got so much stuff, I'm gonna have to build bigger barns to store all this stuff in so I can live without fear knowing I'm well satisfied all the days of my life. Jesus said, I'm gonna kill you tonight. You fool. Why in the world would you do all that when there's so many people around you in need? The big one, Matthew 25, that great and terrible day when we stand before the Lord. Do you on my right, you on the left. How do we get on the right side of God? I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to see me, not just the innocent ones. I was sick and you ministered to me. When did we do it to you, Lord? When you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Justice. Those that did nothing, is because they did nothing to those around them. Isn't it interesting that he was like kind to sinners and harsh on those that had stuff that didn't do anything with it? Lady caught in adultery, he's like, don't do that anymore. Go and sin no more. Kind of easy, wasn't it? Woman at the well, had five husbands, about to get married again. He said, you look like you could use a drink. blessed her, prophesied to her, and she became a mighty evangelist. She said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did to love me anyway. But those who had and did nothing for those who didn't have, Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, homosexuality, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of homosexuality. Homosexuality was not the root, it's the fruit. 
The root, read Ezekiel 16, because you were prideful, you didn't care, and you did nothing for the poor, therefore I destroyed you. We've got to fix our minds on what God actually requires. I'm not saying morality is not important. Morality is an issue, but, it has, but that's, that's not the important. Morality is for you, not God. Morality is, if I live a moral life, I can live a peaceable life for Kent. But God's agenda is justice for people. And we're going to have to love mercy. We're going to have to get rid of judgment. You're going to have to quit judging everybody else. You're going to have to shut up on Facebook. You're going to have to shutty, shutty that thing. If you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say it. You can't cast, Satan can't cast out Satan. Evil, evil doesn't cast out evil. You overcome evil with good. Love mercy. The reason you love mercy is because you've learned mercy. Jesus said, go learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You can't teach mercy. You have to learn it. How do you learn it? It's when you so desperately need it yourself. When you realize without the mercy of God where you would be and what would be happening in your life, and if you got what you deserve, how bad off you would be, and then what happens, something comes inside of you that God's been so merciful to you, how could you dare judge anybody else and not be merciful to them? But it's not just merciful with words, it's merciful in action. It's like the movie, uh, Le, how do you say it, Bev? Les Mis, that famous movie where the guy steals food to feed his family and goes to prison and gets out of prison and comes to live at the church and the priest said, everything, everything that's ours is yours. Be comfortable here. Welcome him here. And he stole all the church's silverware, which was the only thing of value they had. So he brought the guy and was kind to him, generous, and he stole all their stuff and left. Police catch him, bring him back to the church, standing before the priest. Is this the guy that stole your silverware? He said, no, it was his. And he said, actually, he forgot the candlesticks. The police leaves, the criminal cries, and the priest said, I just bought your soul because now you know mercy and you will never have to steal again. This is what it means to love mercy. Not giving people what they deserve, giving people what you would want. Jesus said all of it summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know how far away we are from that in the church? Do you know what would happen if I called you all here today to pray for Nancy Pelosi? Or Donald Trump? Do you know how much prejudice would rise up in this room? Did you know there's people that left this church in the term of Obama because I asked him to pray for President Obama and they refused to do it because they don't understand justice nor mercy and therefore they are not walking humbly with God. Here's the place of humility. You don't know. I don't know. Only God knows. So you have to humble yourself. You Republicans, you need to be humbled. You Democrats, you need to be humbled. You independents, you need to be humbled. All you political people, you need to be humbled. You don't know. Your party ain't got the answer. God's got the answer. I'm not saying God won't use your party. God uses who he wants to, how he wants to. But what does God require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Humility. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their land and restore their land. Turn from their wicked ways. See, we think that's 
all these other sins the church talks about all the time. That's not, turning from wicked ways is turning away from living with injustice. That word, Dan looked it up this, this week in the Hebrew, that word wicked is injury. Injustice. Turn from injustice and I'll heal your land. Start acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly, I'll heal your land. And by the way, I, while I'm here in this moment, America is not the kingdom. Only 5% of the world live here. We're important because I believe there's a redemptive purpose on us for the world. But we're not the kingdom. So we got to be careful with that stuff. That patriotic spirit that I'm, I like patriots, but not to move me out of the kingdom. That America's the only, you know, pride. Let me think if there's any other sacred cows, Dan, I can go after today before I close. I'm going to tell you, this is God talking to us. This isn't Ken. I promise you. I'm only telling you what I feel God is saying to us. And, I'm, and I understand I'm saying it imperfectly. But I'd rather be a novice at something new God is doing than a professional at something old God's not doing. And God is, God is, God is saying some things, doing some things in our life right now. whole church is changing we're about to see the glory of God I told the Lord of the day I said Lord I don't think I've ever seen your glory he said oh you have I said what is it he said it's my goodness and he gave me Exodus 33 Moses said show me your glory it says the Lord passed by I said the Lord the Lord God merciful kind and good he said I will let all my goodness pass before you we're about to see the goodness of God released in the land of the living and we're going to see miracles and healings and transformation like we've never seen before the ecclesia is arising and the gates of hell will not prevail against us would you stand up with me got a strange altar call for you we take your phone out and if you got a $20 bill will you grab it if you have one if you don't we'll pray you one in two things I'm asking of you today is an altar call number one I want you to go to a web a Facebook page called Ecclesia Everywhere I'm joining with Seven other gentlemen in the Ed Silvoso and women launched a Facebook page, Ecclesia Everywhere. It's a global, multi-ethnic, multicultural governing of Christians. And we believe Jesus is the answer to the problems in the world today. And I want to invite you to become part of this Ecclesia movement. It's obviously a Facebook page, free of charge. They're going to ask you three questions when you go on there. Number one, do you acknowledge that you are a part of Ecclesia and are you willing to dedicate your home and your workplace and your life for God's glory to use you? Number two, will you dwell in the presence of Jesus wherever you go and whatever you do, invite the presence of Jesus to be in your midst? And number three, will you practice prayer evangelism? Will you adopt neighborhoods and coworkers to begin to bless and pray for the spiritual atmosphere to shift and change in your areas of influence? And then we're gonna put out information every day and every week to empower people to live this lifestyle of ecclesia all over the world. We're believing for a million ecclesias, homes, businesses, churches that become the agents of transformation in the earth. Number two, I felt like Holy Spirit would love this. That if we took a $20 bill and we blessed it 
And we said, Lord, I'm going to give this to somebody. In the next 24, 48 hours, I'm going to add, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, show me who I'm supposed to give this to. And I'm praying when I give this away that the spirit of mammon is going to break on my life and whoever I'm giving it to. And that the root of iniquity is going to be broken. And that as we give these 20s through our territory the next two days, that something's going to shift over our territory. This, this spirit, this antichrist spirit, this, this counterfeit spirit that's trying to influence people would be broken and uncovered in our territory and that the blessings of God and justice would begin to flow supernaturally in our territory in the name of Jesus. So Father God, we thank you for the spirit of justice. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of your throne. And God, I believe you're calling us as an ecclesia to begin to unlock and release justice to flow out of the southern gate here in Alabama and touch the entire nation of America. So Father, I pray right now that you would commission your people to be the ecclesia, to operate with unusual miracles in the manifest presence of Jesus. And that as we go and we give this week as a prophetic act of breaking this spirit, we say, Lord, right here amongst us, we're humbling ourselves, we're seeking your face, we're turning from our wicked ways, and we believe you're gonna heal our land. And so, Lord, we release that into our atmosphere today, and we thank you that on this Father's Day, the heart of the Father is filling our spirits, and we're going to walk in it in a brand new fashion from today forward. We're going to be fathers to the fatherless. We're going to be defenders of the weak and the oppressed, and we're going to see your kingdom come and your will be done in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's praise him a minute. Woo! We bless you in the name of Jesus. Grab one of Bell's books on the way out. We're going to continue this conversation next week. Love you very much. Be blessed. This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.